Well, good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. Can they hear me in the lobby? Good morning, church in the lobby. Good morning. I want to invite everybody from the lobby into the room. Come on into the room. And it's okay. We're going to wait for you today. Nothing against anybody being late, but there's a purpose for us waiting, okay? So you're going to hear me chit-chat for a little bit. A little bit, a little bit. Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Margo. That's not important, but it is my name. And this morning, I want to share with you a little bit about my week, but also, more importantly, about the songs that we're going to sing this morning. And that's why we are waiting for everybody to come in. Um, I was saying to the team, to Pastors John and Danielle earlier this morning about how, first of all, I am not afraid to be a worship leader on this platform and not pretend like I have it all together. Okay, so I'm gonna be the first person to be like, I was in my head all week this week for basically no reason, right? And I'm gonna let you in on the dark of it because when we bring it to light, it no longer affects us, right? Or it doesn't have too much of a hold on us. And so I have been, I'm an entrepreneur I have my own business, it's very new, it's only about two years old and it's growing, which is wonderful. But I'm at a tiny bit of a stall and I have allowed that little bit of a stall to speak to who I am, to speak to my worth, to speak to my purpose. And over the last month, twice, I have spent a chunk of time hysterically sob whale crying, talking about, I'm gonna pack it up. I'm gonna give it up, I'm giving it in. I'm done, this was cool, it was a good run. And then the next day, as God does, his mercies are brand new and it's a brand new day and I feel better. And so that speaks to me on a lot of levels. First of all, our feelings, Pastor Kyle, while always real, are not always the truth of our situation, right? And so, I don't know about you, like I live a pretty good life, pretty cushy life. There's not anything in my life that is no longer, praise God, giving me turmoil on the daily. I did used to live a life like that, Um, but no longer is that my case. But even in my little cushy life, right, my mind brings turmoil to myself quite frequently. And so I am constantly and consistently battling in my mind with out God, if I'm honest, about my own worth, telling myself what my worth is, telling myself what my purpose is, telling myself what my ever. And I am a chatty gal, as you can tell. And so I would call a friend and I would be like, oh my God, my life is so horrible. And yesterday when I was doing that, my one girlfriend said, well, why don't you just give it to God? Which should not be a foreign concept to me, right? (laughs) I've been walking with the Lord for almost 15 years straight. But when she said that, everything in my body was like, oh my God, could you just give me some real advice? Okay. But it was the realest advice that she could give me. And I didn't appreciate it in the moment. And I think she could tell because she just started praying. She was in the middle of saying something totally different and just started praying. And I was like, all right, here we go, God, fine. If you're gonna pray for me, fine, right? And I was crying, hysterical, sob crying 
but not in the sorrowful, heavy, wailing way that I was when I was on my own. I was crying in a healing, peaceful, calming, resolving type of way. Now, all that to say, the songs that we are singing today are uppity, they are joyful, and they are literally like running praise up to God. I don't really feel like doing that today, if I'm real honest, right? Like when I came here for practice, didn't feel like doing it. When I came here this morning, I extra didn't feel like doing it. But again, our feelings, while very real in the moment, are not the truth of our life or our circumstance or the moment even. The truth in this moment is that God is really good, that he is worthy and deserving of praise. And it is a part. And it is a part, like separate from how we feel. And so um, some of the lyrics that we're going to be singing today are putting simpler words on what I just shared with you, which is that we cannot fall asleep to who God is and what he has done. We need to wake ourselves up. You know, we, we have become so accustomed to waking up with an alarm. I don't know about anybody else, but I snooze about 25,000 times in the morning. And so we're accustomed and even not so accustomed to falling asleep to the alarm. So we have to become more acquainted with waking ourselves up, saying to ourselves, okay, you rested, okay, get up, get up, enough is enough, wake up. Okay, and I was sharing that this morning with Pastor John, and I'm so grateful for doing, you know, life with each other because we get to share a perspective that maybe we didn't have. Because you just heard the tone in my voice. Okay, Margot, that's enough. Get up. Wake up, right? And Pastor John said, you know, I thought when I hear this song, <laughs> and how kind, you know, is his perspective and, and his heart, he hears it from the perspective of God. And God's saying to him, hey, Wake up. Look what I've done. Do you see what I've done? Wake up to it. And that is how God speaks to us. When you're hearing, wake up, Margot. Wake up, Margot. Enough is enough. That's not God. That's me, right? Putting shame and putting heavy on me. That's that battling that I was talking about within our minds. And so we're going to sing some glory to God this morning. They are uppity songs, like I said. They are joyful, and they make your heart feel like you're gonna go running toward him, and I'm grateful for that. And so I hope that this morning, even if you're uncomfortable, even if you don't feel like it, that you would get up, that your heart would go running, and that you would allow it to happen this morning, that we would wake up, that we would wake up to what he's already done, we would wake up to the goodness of that he is, and then we would give him praise today. We're going to clap. You're going to clap. You understand? I'm going to stomp because I'm not a good clapper, so you can stomp if you're not a good clapper. Um, and you can dance, right? Because worship is joyful. Worship is joyful regardless of the posture of our heart. And so I hope that you will meet me there today and that we will meet God in a new and intimate way this morning. Let's go, church.
church. Church, church, church. I thank you so much for meeting me there <laughs> because my heart and my spirit and my mind needed it. <sighs> we lead each other. We lead each other. And there are times, like I said, where we just don't want to worship. But when we push past the uncomfortable, we push past that wall of not wanting to, that God meets us in a very special and intimate way. And I hope that you could feel that. And if you got a little working out to do, right? Like I got some working out to do and sometimes you don't know the song, right? And like the Holy Spirit is gonna meet you regardless if you know the words, regardless if you know the tune, regardless if you're standing, regardless if you're clapping, regardless if you feel like it, he's gonna meet you. but when we can do part, right? It happens with a lot more ease. It happens with a lot more joy attached to it. And so in this song, there's gonna be a couple of times where we woe. And I just wanna go over how the woes go so that you can take part. It rhymes every time. Um, so that you can take part. It makes it a little easier to take part, okay? So they're a little high. You can go low if you want, but the woes go. Whoa, 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 whoa. And then one more. Whoa, okay? Now this song, yes, this song is talking right to any blockage, mental, spiritual, physical, you know, um, situational, all of it, okay? Any blockage that is going to get in the way of us worshiping Jesus, this speaks right to it. And then we're going to proclaim that Jesus is the name above all names. But during that woe, okay, if I can press this a little more this morning, and reminder, I don't feel like it. I look like I feel like it, and it might sound like I feel like it, but my little heart, deep, deep, she don't want to, okay? If we could woe those woes with reckless abandon, right? Let it go. Let it out. Really let it go and let it out this morning. That's what I'm going to do. Let's, let's do that. We're starting with the woes.
and the mountains shake. The giants tremble at the name of Jesus. Sickness, disease, depression, addiction has no power in the name of Jesus Christ. Bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that is within me. All that is within me. I'm going to stand. I'm going to shout. I'm going to praise you in your sanctuary. Giving you glory, giving you honor, giving you praise, giving the glory due your name, Jesus. Daddy, thank you. Thank you for adopting us. Thank you that when we were outcasts without a family, orphaned without a cause, you brought us into your own, sat us on your lap, enabled us to call you Abba, Daddy. Daddy, wherever. 
the fire doesn't burn I pray that you ignite it deep inside of us today daddy you heard our cry you heard our prayer that we are believing that you are a miracle maker a city wall shaker you are a history changer that means that there are some things that may have been passed down through generations that came to us but aren't going any further because you're a history changer you're a generational curse breaker not by might nor by power but we are praying by your spirit says the Lord so let your kingdom come daddy come on church come on this is your this is your breakthrough this is your praise come on whoa your praise to God take a minute your praise to God your praise to God your moment to cry out God I need a breakthrough God I'm trusting you God I'm not gonna believe the lie God I'm not gonna give in to my past God I'm not gonna follow the desire God I'm gonna trust in you to do the, the miraculous God you're the miracle maker God, not my will, your will, not my will, but your will. Daddy, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our lives, in this church, in our city, in our nation, in our world today. Daddy, we stand in the gap for families who've suffered through the massacre in Maine. We stand in the gap for moms and dads and brothers and sisters and cousins on both sides of the Gaza wall in the name of Jesus. We stand for you to move and bring hope and peace and more than that, the kingdom of God. Do what only you can do for moms and dads in this side of the country, in this room. Bring hope and peace in Jesus' name. And together in faith, we say, so be it, amen and amen. Come on, can you give God just some praise for breakthroughs you believe in for, for who he is, that he's the king of kings and lord of lords. Hallelujah. Come on, give him a shout of glory, church. He's worthy of our praise today. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy, Jesus. I just want to echo what Margot said already, if you weren't in here. But one thing I know is sometimes I don't, I don't mind the music. I love music. I love to worship. I love worship. But sometimes I'm not. Mm, there's something inside of me not ready to bow its knee. That's why sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is just stand there and cry out, Jesus. Just, gee, there's something, oh, there used to be an old hymn. Jesus, there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus. Like the fragrance that follows the rain. There's something that happens. I, I remember one night when I was just, after I'd given my heart to Jesus as a 21-year-old, I was in my room, and there was such a darkness. Has everyone ever had like a darkness where you can't move? You can't explain it. It's not like just a depression. It's a darkness in the room. And all I could say 
was Jesus. That's it. I couldn't get anything else out. And in that moment, it wasn't my goodness that changed the circumstance. His name. He's the name above all names. It's not a magic chant. It's a desperate cry for the king to reveal himself. It's a desperate cry. Well, I pray today that your prayers through worship may have changed the inside of who you are and opened your eyes to see him more clearly. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you for coming. Give yourselves a hand for getting up on, uh, getting that extra hour of sleep. That was beautiful. This day's always good for church because people like who are late are early. This is good. You're like, hey, I, I forgot. It's good. It's fantastic. It's awesome. Look, if you are still late on the day you get an extra hour, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing y'all. I'm just teasing y'all. Man, it's great to have you. I really am. Danielle and I are so thankful that you're here today. We really are. Thank you. If this is your first or second time here, thank you for being our guest today. We really do ask you to consider making this your, your home. Because this isn't about a Sunday morning gathering. It's about learning, as you heard Margot say today, how do we live life well together? Because in this world, we have lots of virtual friends, lots of virtual associates, but we only can have one community of faith. We need that. We need the garden where we can develop and grow together. And it's okay if you got some weeds, because the person next to you got some, I said weeds. There's a plural. Weeds. Plural. Some of them like, Pastor said the guy next to me had weed in church. This is a good church. Uh, I love you. I'm glad that you're here. Hey, one of the things that we do love and we pray for and we believe for is the next generation. Because they're not the next generation, they're this generation. And they are, pro they are warriors, they are worshipers, and we are believing that they have a prophetic voice for our generation. So kiddos, can you follow Pastor Lisa and they'll sign out. Give them a hand, church, as they're going out. Give the kids ministry a hand. We love you guys. And as you're being seated, give somebody next to you a high five. Tell them it's great that they're in the house of God today with you. I don't know about you, but I'm ready, so we're going to hop right in. We're going to hop right in. Somebody's like, I just need a breather. We're going to hop right in. There ain't no breath this morning. We're going to hop right in because um, it's, it's one of those things, and I know you hear me say this often if you come to Connect, um, but there's things that the Holy Spirit weaves together without it being planned, and that's, 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 that's something that should spark inside of us. And um, I, I didn't know the songs we were singing this morning. I certainly didn't know Margo's testimony this morning before uh, God kind of put down what we were going to talk about today. And uh, what you're going to see is those things go hand in hand. And I love that because that should be encouraging to you. I, many times people come and say, Pastor, you, were pre you, you, were, you, know, you, you must have been a, a fly on the wall this week. You're preaching right to me. That's awesome. That should actually give both of us encouragement. Because, come on, because God is actually cares enough to talk about the things that we're going through. Like, I love Jesus because he's like, it's not just about an esoteric concept. It's about, I care where you are. And so we're going to hop right on in. And then, uh, look, hold on to your communion cups. And if you don't have one, we'll get you one at the end. We're going to take communion at the end of service today um, because that's uh, where the message in the Spirit has led us. But uh, since you have your Bible, why don't you open with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, written by disciple Matthew, who's a follower of Jesus. This means it's a first-hand account. 
You can trust as a first-hand account. And we're going to be in this chapter for a couple weeks. I know we normally don't do that, but I really feel like it's something that we want to talk about because it's talking about the return of Jesus. And I think it's important in today's world that we don't forget he's coming back. And if you need a title for today's message, it's everything hot eventually cools. Everything hot eventually cools. Now, uh, eons ago, it seems like now, uh, when we first started the church, I preached a series called The Myths of Christianity. And this was one of those myths, like uh, that, that every marriage loses passion over time. Right, Every marriage, every relationship, and that's kind of the accepted belief in our culture that every marriage eventually, every relationship will lose passion over time. But the issue is that this lie conditions us for there to be an acceptable cooling off period in our walk with Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're his bride. And after all, it's okay because it's acceptable that every relationship cools off after a while. Then you add on top of it all the tribulation we've got to go through trying to live out this marriage, right? Things we talked about last week like locusts and famines, right? And storms and just issues in life. And we find ourselves in the midst of these moments either drawing closer, come on, or pushing further away. And the issue is this is challenging not only because our relationship with God and his relationship with us is founded on love toward each other. But Jesus tells us that life, as it gets closer to his return, is going to get harder and more difficult than ever. That our love is going to be challenged and tested at a level that's going to make us uncomfortable. So when our presupposition is already that distance is an acceptable reality in our intimate relationship with Jesus, come on, then the enemy already has a foothold in our life to exploit. And that, that foothold changes the way, it affects the way that we see the return of Jesus in our life. It makes it more murky. Right? Have any of us, if you've, ever, if you've ever been in a relationship or married, if your spouse went on uh, like a business trip and, and, and you, you, things were a little rocky before they left, come on, a little rocky, and, and they're coming back that day and you're like, oh boy, they're coming back today. But if you're in love, you're like, oh boy, they're coming back today. Same words, different spirit. See, in the house of God, we can have the same words, we can have the same profession, we can have the same theology, we can have the same belief structure, come on somebody, but a different spirit behind it. And in this text, as Jesus is getting ready to be crucified and resurrected and and ascended to heaven, he begins to talk about his return to his disciples, about the condition uh, around when he will put the final stages onto the kingdom that he inaugurated through the cross and resurrection. See, the kingdom's not finished. He started it at the cross and resurrection. He will consummate it at his return. And he's saying, look, there's going to be things that, co- that as we head towards this wedding day, as we head towards the bride and the groom finally living together, that's the picture, for all time, life is going to get difficult. It's going to get challenging. Like most weddings, there's going to be some issues as we head towards the wedding day. Anyone ever plan a wedding? 
Come on, somebody. You know, oh, I've done hundreds of them. It's, there's always that aunt, right, or that mom or that mother-in-law or that crazy bridesmaid or that uncle or that dad or that cousin. Someone is messing stuff up. As you're, and some people don't make it to the wedding day. But Jesus wants us to know the wedding day is coming. He says, I am returning. The groom is coming for his bride. So people, get ready. There's a train coming. Picking up passengers. Come on. From coast to coast. Come on, Shay. I needed you on that one. Coast to coast. No, okay, all right. That's too old school. Right. We're going to read a lot of this because uh, I want to put it in context. But then we're going to. Uh, unpack it a little bit. Matthew 24, starting verse 3. It says, Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? He had just said the temple was going to be destroyed. That happened in 70 AD under Tacitus, the Roman general. Uh, we'll talk about that more later uh, in, in the series. But what sign will signal your return and the end of the age? That is one question. Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but don't panic. Uh, yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first part of the birth pains, the labor pains, with more to come. Then you will be arrested and persecuted and killed. You'll be hated all over, amen, all over for the world because you are my followers. That Greek word means you are for my namesake because of Jesus, the name of Jesus. And many will be offended and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and underline this. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear, hear it, and then the end will come. How, can we agree there's a lot to unpack there? That's why we're going to do this over the next couple of weeks. But the good news is that Jesus is coming back, right? And this is a message of hope and of joy, and it should bring a sense of peace to us despite the circumstances that we read and the challenges we just read about. That, that, that this certainly is a message for us in our world today as we see certain things unfolding around us and wonder what in the world's going on. But before we even go any further today, we have to understand the place. The place where this is going on is important. It's the Mount of Olives. And why is that important? Because in just a few hours, Jesus is going to be arrested there. And this is the night before he dies. Right? But it's also important because 40 days later, it's the place he ascends from. And then in Acts 1.11, two angels say when he's going up, he says to his disciples, Why are you looking up the same way he, can't, he left? He's coming back. Zechariah 14.4 says, On that day when Jesus returns, he will put his feet on the mountaintop again, and Mount of Olives will split in half from east to west. He is going to put his feet on the mountaintop again. But this mountain is also has a lot of olive presses on it. It's olive trees and olive presses. It's where the olives were pressed out to make the oil, and the oil was made available. This is why Jesus tells us on that place that we're going to get the Holy Spirit, the oil of God, so that we can be overcomers, the head and not the tail, in the kingdom of God. But it's also one of his last things he says to his disciples. So this is probably pretty important. Add on top of that that there's this Hebrew thought that is 
goes on, especially in the time of Jesus, that the word of God was always associated with coming down from a mountaintop. Do you remember? Moses goes up the mountaintop, gets the word of God, the Ten Commandments, it comes down. So the word of God is always coming down from the mountaintop. This is why if you look through scripture, so many of Jesus' essential teachings about the kingdom of God were done on a mountain. The Sermon on the Mount, it's all about the essential things of God. This moment, he's going to teach him in just a few moments, not my will, but your will. From this place, he teaches, he gives us the great commission to go into all the world. Tells us about his ascension into heaven. Tells us about his return again. All these things that Jesus is saying are important. I need you to understand. These are from God to you. And they had been asking him about his return. The coming of the kingdom age. Talking about the time that the Messiah would rule on earth and reestablish and rebirth a world under his rule. It's what we're going to see in Revelation 20 and 21 at the end of life. Jesus and his bride living forever, a new heaven and new earth. But certainly in their minds, when they were talking about his return, they must have been thinking about many of the Old Testament passages that talked about the Messiah's rule. Ones like Isaiah 9, 7 that says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. On the throne of David, he will rule his kingdom and establish it in justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. They're like, this is awesome. Jesus is coming to rule. What's the sign? What should we look for? What's the signal flare that tells us to charge? We're ready. Let's go. And Jesus starts to shape their perspective. Because perspective matters. Our perspective matters when it comes to what we hear when we hear these verses. Our perspective matters. If our connection to Jesus and Christianity is for the good things or the good life it produces, then we will inevitably be shaken by hearing these things. Hearing things like wars and famines and and natural disasters and deceptions and betrayals and arrests and persecution and even death inside of you. You're like, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't sign up for that. That's not why I'm following Jesus. And so we are forced to create a belief that we must be taken out before these things happen because we're not ready to go through them because that's not the Christianity I signed up for but Jesus instead says prepare for them he's trying to shape our perspective not not get us not 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 get us out of it but help us to get through it because Jesus is trying to give us hope here hope this is good news for the disciples not because they're going to escape these issues because we know none of them did they all fell to some sort of that betrayal arrest persecution martyrdom they all they didn't get out of any of it why was it good news for them because it meant that the return of jesus christ and the eternal kingdom the will of god was coming the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies that jesus christ would bring peace forevermore a kingdom of no death no pain no tears no fear come on that's why they're excited that's why it's good news so the issue is they're asking for a sign and the sign that they are thinking about was that everything come on church was going to get better Everything's going to get better, right? You're coming, it's going to get better. The Romans, they're out. 
Victory, joy, peace, right? Everything. said that I'm going to get to sit at the right hand. This is going to be awesome. Streams of water are going to be flowing in the middle of the desert. Isn't that what Isaiah 43 says? Isaiah 43, talking about the return of Jesus, he said, I'm going to, make, I'm going to do everything new. There's going to be, uh, I'm going to prepare a way in the wilderness. There's going to be streams flowing up in the desert. They're like, woohoo! All this is going to be great. But instead, Jesus says that the sign that I'm coming back is that the world is going to get more chaotic. What? Jesus, I'm not sure that's why I followed. That's not the Christianity I signed up for. But it's why, church, as disciples of Jesus, we must get this. We must allow Jesus to teach us the perspective we should have. Not our background, not our denominational connection, not our family. We need to allow Jesus to shape it. Because he here is exposing. This is the heartbeat of what he's saying. He's exposing the truth that there are two distinct movements coming to the same intersection in time and space. Just like Jesus and the enemy were going to the same place of time and space at the cross, there is two forces coming together, opposing one another, that are heading towards this one intersection in time and space called the final consummation, the final return of the king. And those two forces are light and darkness, truth and deception, the God of this age and the king of kings and lord of lords. He's trying to help us understand what it's going to be and why it's going to be that way. It's why He says here, there are going to be deceptions. Deceptions. Well, who's behind that? Well, Revelation 12, 9 says that Satan, the great dragon, is the deceiver of the world. That's who's behind that. He says that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be gossip and division and hate. Who's behind that? He says nation will rise up against nation. That means political forces will come against political forces. Actually, that Greek word is ethnos. Ethnicities will come and war against ethnicities. Who is behind that, I wonder? 2 Corinthians 4.4 says he is the God of this age. That word age means political system, world system, cultural thinking. There is not a political system on this planet that is not influenced by the God of this age. No matter what color the flag is. There's not one. It's why he says there's going to be persecutions, betrayal, death, hatred. Who's behind that? I don't know. Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. Why is all this coming on? Why is all this going to happen? Because of Jesus' name. To get people's love to grow cold. To lose passion. For sin to be so, become so rampant, we just throw up our hands. And it will undermine our love towards Jesus himself. To get something hot in us, hot in us to cool off. To be like, man, I'm just, I'm just done. Sin is a separator. Shame and guilt are condemners. This is the goal of the enemy in our life. And he is running out of time and he knows it. He, this is not Kyle projecting this. This is what the scripture tells us. Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, a few years ago, you may not understand that time is running out. He understands time is running out. 
A few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a bullfight in Spain, right? A bunch of friends uh, who I was there with, they took me. It was the most awful thing I've ever experienced in my life. I'm sorry if you're from Spain and you love it, good on you. It's just not my thing, right? It's just not. But it did teach me one thing. It taught me something important. Do you know when the bull is the most dangerous? It is not when he's at full strength. It's when he has a spear in him. When he absolutely begins, when, when, when the bull begins to fear the end is coming, it attacks more viciously. That's what happened at the cross. Jesus threw a spear, a death blow into the enemy. He is bleeding out, but he understands his time is coming. That's why his attacks are more vicious and more vicious every, every decade, every year, every generation. Man, I can't even believe what our kids are going through now. It's so much worse than what I went through, you think? Because the bull was, actually has a spear in it. He understands his time is coming short. More vicious, more vicious, more vicious. And his desire, my friends, is to get us, the church, connect church, us as the church, the modern church, to become like the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2.4. The church of Ephesus in Revelation 2.4, Jesus says this, Nevertheless, this one thing I have against you, you've lost your first love. Do you know what he says before this? He said, man, you guys are doing awesome. You're doing good works. You're taking care of the community. You're feeding people. You've got good morals. You haven't given in to cultural considerations. You, 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 you've got, you're running great services. People are getting, you're, you're doing great things. But the thing that I have against you is you've fallen asleep on loving me. Where are we, Church. I love that we feed people. I love we've got TKC. I love that we care about the world. I love we sing great worship. I love all that. But the issue at the end of the day is how we fall asleep on loving him. Do you remember, by the way, at the end of Matthew, in the middle of Matthew, the, 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 the Bible says that uh, Jesus finds a demoniac and uh, he, he's got a, a, a man's possessed with multiple demons. And the demons come out and they say, whoa, wait a minute. Don't cast us into the darkness yet. It's not our time yet. They understand that there's a moment coming. They understand. I love it, by the way, he cast them out into pigs, and then the pigs go crazy, and they hop into water. And if you don't know anything about pigs, by the way, they can't sweat. It's why they waddle around in mud. So, they, so do you know what happens when something gets really hot and then jumps in cold water? Poof. It's not pretty. Anyway, we'll just move on. But my friends, this is his scheme. This is part of the enemy's scheme and deception to lull us into sleep. For us, the church, to become like the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25 and the next chapter, where Jesus says in verse 5, because the bridegroom delayed his coming because there was time, they got drowsy and fell asleep. The enemy wants us to grow tired of waiting, tired of the battle, tired of the issues, tired of the famines, tired of the locusts, tired of the pressures. To allow our light to go out and our passion for him and his kingdom to wax cold. To fall asleep on our first love.
So come on. We can't give in any longer to the misconception of time. To the scheme the enemy is trying to use on you and I in this modern world. This lie, and I've heard it so often. Well, these things have been going on since the time of Jesus. So it's not a big deal. You're right. It's true. There have been famines and plagues and wars and inquisitions throughout time. But it certainly is increasing in intensity and in impact. Let me give you a little perspective because perspective is important. At the turn of the last millennium, that's 1000 AD, last millennium, the best estimates were that we had 345 million people on the planet. 345 million. We have more than that in America today. In today's world, our population is 8.1 billion people. That's a lot of extra opportunities for sin and hurt and loss and offense and rebellion and persecution and death. It's also a lot more opportunities for us to love on people, come on, and share grace and share the goodness of God and forgive people and preach the gospel and love our neighbor as ourselves. because the UN tells us that one billion of those people live on less than one dollar a day. But when we have 8 billion people on the planet, just the number of people sinning increases the opportunity for hurt and loss in a magnitude way compared to what it was just one millennium ago. When it comes to the persecutions and death, there are more recorded martyrdoms of Christians in the last century than all other centuries combined. We certainly have had famines and natural disasters throughout the years, throughout history. We, the Black Plague and all sorts of things. But never before in the history of the world have we shared a global economy with markets so intricately tied together that an earthquake on the other side of the planet, a fire in some island somewhere, a, 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 a volcanic eruption, a famine, a global pandemic can greatly affect the economic landscape for everyone on the the planet, which means both global economic collapse and global economic uh, uh, manipulation are easier than ever. Perspective. Add on top of that, given that most of the greatest battles of antiquity only had a few thousand casualties at any one time, consider this one truth, that just in one day at the Battle of Antietam in the Civil War, one day, 27,717 people were killed or wounded. In the Battle of Stalingrad in World War II, 633,000 people died in one battle. Matter of fact, 10 of the most deadly uh, battles recorded in all of history, going back as far as we know, all 10 of the most deadly happened last century. And now there's a battle raging at the heart of the Holy Land. And this time, with the whole world watching, yes, there's been wars before. Yes, there's been uncertainty in Israel before, no doubt. But the whole world is watching and is ready to weigh in on what is happening. It is increasing in intensity and impact. Turkey, which is the land of Meshach and Tubal, recently said that they would consider waging war against Israel if things didn't change. Iran, historically Persia, already shared the desire to eradicate Israel let alone what's going on with Russia in the north, maybe it should cause us to consider the prophecies of Ezekiel 38, verses 8 and 9 that say this, that before this it says, the lands of Meshach and Tubal and Persia and a few others, listen, it says, will be mustered together. In the latter years, you will go against the land that is restored from war, 
The land whose people were gathered from many peoples to the mountains of Israel. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely. You will advance coming at them like a storm. You'll be like a cloud covering the land. You and all your hordes and many peoples with you. Now I don't know if that is physical attacks or whether that's spiritually coming against the things and the people of God, or whether it's political pressures that are going to continue to be poured out and poured out and poured out. But we can have to agree that it's certainly increasing since the formation of Israel in 1948. So there are things ramping up in our world that could hinge on what is happening in the land of Jesus. So all of these things, my friends, we can't bury our head in the sand. They are impacting and influencing the church of Jesus Christ today. And they're impacting our lives. Whether we are in the beginning of those labor pains, the middle, or the end of those labor pains, I don't know. But we have to agree that all of these things are increasing of influence and impact, and they're influencing our lives. We are seeing some of these things begin to produce what Jesus prophesied would happen. As fear and uncertainty, hatred and conflict Compromise and cultural correctness influence our lives as believers. We see the results of these things ramping up in our world. Believers have become, at times, many of us have become offended with God. Where's God in all this? I didn't think, God, you'd do this. How about this? And we begin to deconstruct our faith. We betray one another. We've lost so much love for one another that we can actually learn to hate other Christians. Other brothers and sisters because we have theological differences or they have difference in lifestyle choices. And so we justify our hatred for them. Which has caused false prophets in the church to arise and preach a different gospel not based on the word and truth. People are being encouraged to disregard law, to be lawless, what the Bible says, and do whatever they think is best. In the church. And Jesus says, and the love of God and of Jesus in the midst of all these things we see around us can easily cause our love to grow cold. Like Ephesus, we can do all the good works and have all the good morals, but love, the commandment, the commandment, we've lost. This Greek word to run cold is actually the word schizomai. It, it, it means to lose all heat, but it actually is where we get the word psycho from. Psychomai is where we get psycho from. We lose our mind. Jesus is saying, in the midst of all this, we can lose our mind. Us, the church, we can lose our. We can become people we swore we would never become a few moments before. Just take a moment, my friends, and think about friends and family members and coworkers who found themselves walking out of church or away from faith. Why did they do it? Why? Maybe because of offense or maybe because of some unfulfilled expectation with church or God. Maybe the church believes something now and teaches something that their culture is different. Many times it's because, to be honest, how Christians treat other Christians. People, I was hurt in church. I, you, church. Christians are hypocrites. They, they say one thing and then hurt each other. We kill our wounded. How could God let these things happen? But the, truth that, but the truth is that each one of us is one heartbeat away from this being our reality. 
Every one of us in this room is one heartbeat away from this being our own reality. So knowing this would be the reality. Jesus tells us not to forget he's coming back. He says, I'm coming back. The parousia, that's the Greek word there. Parousia is a one-time moment. That's actually what the Greek word means, a one-time event where a king would enter a nation or a city and establish his rule. My My friends, Jesus Christ, the eternal king, is coming back to set up his eternal kingdom once and for all, and I want to be there to see it. I want to be there to celebrate it. I want to be there to rejoice in it because my king is coming. That is what I know. All these things are true, and that is the most true. However, when we allow the misconception of time and of trouble, of conflict and of compromise, to slowly and surely extinguish our passion for the king and his kingdom, we can easily find ourselves among those whose love has grown cold. Where church and Jesus are part of my life, but they're not the center of it. When it's good when I'm there, if I have time, but... I'm not really having much time these days. This is why we see the amazing grace of our king in the midst of this text. In verse 13, he gives us the key, not the salvation, but the key to being on fire, staying in love with him. He who endures to the end will be saved. That word actually means to be made complete, to be whole again. I love this Greek word for endure. It's the key to all of it, and I think it's the key to what we've got to grab a hold of this morning. The key. Endure. That word means to hold one's ground in conflict. In the midst. Not, despite, not, not, not void of conflict. Jesus is not teaching his church how to get out of conflict. He's teaching his church how to stand in the midst of conflict. This is not a passive acceptance. It is a proactive resistance. We need to learn how to be proactively resisting the things that are trying to cause us to grow cold in our love for Jesus in the midst of the conflict. But what are we resisting? If it's a love issue, then it's a heart issue. The real issues that we face are heart issues. That's what we have to, we have to resist. We have to keep our hearts soft towards God. Soft towards God's word and God's way and God's will. Soft towards his people and his world and his plan and his timing, even when it doesn't line up with ours. Heart issues. I'm teaching this week in Forge, which is our men's discipleship groups, about James 1, verse 15, that says, When desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. Desire inseminates thoughts, and our desires give birth to sin. So the truth that we have to battle here as we actually wrestle with the real questions of life is understanding that we, what we desire, we desire what satisfies us the most. You and I will desire what satisfies us the most. Like, like I, I, if, if it comes down to water or iced tea, I will always choose iced tea. I will, Daniel, I will always choose iced tea. Always. I know water's probably better. Water, if you're from Jersey, water is better for I understand. I'm not picking on what's better for me. I'm picking on what I grew up with. Come on, somebody. What I have good memories attached to. What I've developed a taste for. 
And that's what happens with our desires. We're not making desires out of what we know is better for us. We are making choices and desires out of what we have grown up around, what we've developed a taste for, what we have memories attached to. It's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, your heart will be. The trap is, therefore, when our heart is connected to all these things in our world, success, values, riches, all of this stuff, power, fame, we develop a taste for them. We believe that we're going to receive some sort of benefit from them, and maybe we have. And we begin to get good memories attached to those things so that when they go bad, our heart gets beat up. Heart issues. When someone we love is sick and dies and God doesn't heal them on this side of the veil, our heart gets beat up. When we see injustice against people who look like us, but nothing changes, our heart gets beat up yet again. When the dollars we work so hard for can't buy the bread the kids need to eat, our heart gets beat up. When we've spent all our time trying to climb the ladder of success, only to realize it leads to an empty attic, our heart gets beat up. When people we love and have done life with leave church and walk away from faith and walk away from relationships, our heart gets beat up. One of the greatest challenges of my life, and I struggle with it every day, is to love people in church. Because as a pastor, I know every person in this church is on their way out. really hard but the reality is my friends all of this is about keeping intimacy with Jesus in the midst of a world that wants to break us off the vine Everything that we're going through is meant to break us off the vine. Jesus said in John 15, 4, Remain in me and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Remain, endure, set your feet in faith, keep your heart soft toward me. Come on, church, what keeps us close to Jesus? And what are the things that pull us away from him? What strengthens the branch and what things are threatening to cleave it off? From him and from the vine. All of us may be different, but we all have it. This is the wrestling point for your heart. Not how good we can be. Not what we can post on social media. Not what ballot we pull on Tuesday. The real issue for you and I is what are the things that we desire that will sever us from the branch? For me, Danielle and I have had troubling times. We, our marriage has gone through difficult circumstances. Like we're, we're celebrating 30 years. So if you've been in 30 years, you come on somebody. You know. Like I know and like, like before you get married, you're like, it's going to be awesome. You come back from your honeymoon. This is great. Uh, but this is what I know. During some of the most troubling and difficult times of our relationship, It made me choose to love her deeper than I've ever considered loving anyone before. It made me understand what really matters and what doesn't matter. Because in marriage, oh, it's going to be this. No, no. There are things that just don't matter. 
It's made me, these trials have made me love her more today than I've ever loved her in my life. Because they've shown what it means to put her first. Not esoteric, not in thinking, not theologically. What it really means when the rubber meets the road, when there's chaos where you thought there was going to be blessing. When the knife is at the root, you get to choose. How much are you going to love the one that you say you're married to? Bring on the troubles. I ain't trying to get away. I'm trying to love them deeper. It's why Jesus doesn't stop at Matthew 24. We're almost done. But he continues to reveal the answer to some of these questions through the parables in Matthew 25. We can't get into all of them. But he's saying, look, when you're going through the midst of it, remember these parables. Remember the parables of the ten virgins. Remember to put oil in your lamp and keep it burning. Remember to put oil in your lamp, the Holy Spirit, and make me a priority. Remember I'm coming. Don't forget. Don't get drowsy and fall asleep. Even if you start to fall asleep, arouse yourself and wake up. He says, in the parable of the talents, remember what I've given you and use it for the kingdom purpose because if you use it for the kingdom purpose, you'll be thinking about me while you're doing it. You'll be remembering that one day I'm coming back for you. Don't forget it. Then he takes us to the parable of the sheep and the goats and he says, man, you want to know what love really is about? You want to keep your love from growing cold? Love the people that I love. Love when, when, when does that happen? I don't know when you've done it to the least of them. You're doing it to me. These things help keep a passion alive. It's why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.6, fan into flames, not passive acceptance, forceful resistance. Fan into flame the gift I've got, you've got inside of you. He goes on to say this, for God did not give me a spirit of fear. Why would I have a spirit of fear if there was nothing outside causing me to be afraid? He's saying in the midst of my circumstance, be resisting by fanning the things in your heart towards the love of God. Fan it alive and make it beautiful because God has given you a spirit of love and a spirit of power and a spirit of a saved mind. It's not that the things around us will always get better. But the passion inside of us always can. The truth is, victory is not an if. Victory is a when. Jesus is coming back. Church, don't let our hearts be hardened. Stay soft. Keep the flame alive. Recognize what douses you and what doesn't. Recognize what puts water on your flame and the things that gas you up. Jesus is coming back. So when what satisfies us the most is who He is, then our desire to stay connected to Him will be preeminent no matter what our circumstance is. Arrested? Yep, Jesus. Persecuted? Yep, Jesus. Hate me culture? Yep, Jesus. Cancel me from so... Yep, Jesus. Fire me from my... Yep, Jesus. Bankrupt, yep, Jesus. 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 Come on, look at what this says. Our beliefs will be attacked, check. Our sense of security will be attacked, check. 
Our sense of provision will be attacked. Check. Our physical nature will be attacked. Our core core of Christianity will be attacked. The very gospel we placed our hope in will be attacked. Our sense of right and wrong will be attacked. Even our very life may be attacked. All for one purpose. To keep us from loving Jesus. But I love how he ends and I'm going to end with this. But this gospel. Yep, all this stuff's going to happen, but this gospel. But this gospel will be preached. What gospel? That God God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but that through Him the world could have eternal life. That gospel, this gospel, that we love God because He first loved us while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ came and died for us. This gospel, this gospel, that Jesus triumphed over every principality and power at the cross, disarming them and leading them triumphantly this gospel this gospel will be preached that we are loved and called to love him with everything we've got this gospel that we are saved by grace apart from uh, by, by, by grace through work by grace through faith apart from works lest we should boast so that we can do the works of God Amen. this gospel this gospel we aren't he is this gospel Ain't about me, all about him. This gospel. Not making my name famous, but his name famous. This gospel. Ain't about how church is for me, it's about how church is for him. This gospel. This gospel about loving people who are unlovable, touching people who are untouchable, being gracious and forgiving for those who've hurt us the most. This gospel will be preached. But isn't it all going to be great and wonderful? Yup, when he comes back. And if we stay connected to this gospel, and we keep preaching this gospel, standing in the truth of this gospel, staying in love with the focus of this gospel, our love will never run cold despite the circumstances we face. Amen? But this gospel for God so loved me when I was the dirtiest of all sinners that he sent his only begotten son Jesus so that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life for my God did not send Jesus to condemn me he set him to free me How can I not love the one who gave everything for me? It'll get better. (laughs) When there's a new heaven and a new earth. But until then, these trials are testing my faith and producing inside of us a character, a nature of God. A prophetic voice to the world. Our world has heard the church talk about what's right and wrong for eons. And our world has not seen the church love people for decades. 
You want to know what gospel to preach? I don't care how you live. I don't care what side of the tracks you grew up on. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. There is one God. There is one way. And there is one truth. And there is one life. And I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because religion tells me I can work my way to God and it is a lie. Jesus told me he came to me to be the bridge so that I could be with him. This gospel. I can love him because he first loved me. We're going to hop into communion. There's a reason we took it at the end. And if you were here and you didn't get a communion cup, we have some of our pastors around. If you can just give them a wave, they'll give you a cup. But before we take this communion, we're going to just take a quiet moment. Because we have to reflect inside of our own selves today. Are we hot or cold? Are we moral and good? Or are we passionately in love? Is the fire an ember? Or is it a raging forest fire? There's no condemnation for where the fire is today. There's only an encouragement to fan it into flame. And so we're going to just take a moment. Pastor John's going to play. And while people are getting their cups, can you just bow your head for a moment? Do a little business with God. If there's some things you need to repent from, just repent. If there's some, some things you just need to say, God, forgive me, or God, fill me, or God, ignite me again. God, I believe the, the lie I've given in to the deception. Forgive me. This gospel is what we're celebrating right now. This gospel on this night that Jesus taught this, this gospel, 
The Bible says like it is right now, he gathered his friends together in one room. They were having a meal celebrating the lamb that would be slain, whose blood would be on the doorposts. The Bible says that when the angel of death saw the blood, he would pass over. But the lamb had to die first. Jesus is sitting with his friends and he knows that if the lamb doesn't die, they die. It's either the lamb or them, the lamb or them. And that's the choice God made with us from the beginning of time. It was either him or you. He said, I don't want it to be you, so I'll make sure it's me. This is why we can love him right here. Like he chose us for what? Why? Do we remember what we were like before we cleaned ourselves up? I don't know why he'd choose me now, let alone then. He took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Jesus was telling us that his body was going to be broken so that our broken body could be made whole. That's what we proclaim here. Not that we were good enough, but we were broken and couldn't make ourselves whole. So he who was perfect became broken and took our place. My body is broken so that your imperfect body could be made whole. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. Whoever eats of me shall never be spiritually hungry again. I will fulfill your deepest desire if you let me. I will redo your taste buds. I will give you new memories to attach to. I will become the bread that feeds your soul. Father, take this bread. Thank you, Jesus, for breaking, allowing your body to be broken so that we could be made whole. We eat it, remembering it, proclaiming its truth that in you we who are not worthy are worthy because you made us whole again in Jesus name amen take it eat the bread of life the Bible says after supper He took the last cup, the cup of redemption, it was called. And he held it up in front of them and he said, this is not just a cup of wine, this is actually the cup of the new covenant. It's a new day, but it's the cup of my blood. And they would understand this because they would understand that it was the blood that made the deaf angel pass over. It was the blood of the lamb that set them free from slavery and sin and oppression in Egypt. It was the blood of the lamb that did the work. It wasn't them. It was the blood of the lamb. And Jesus said, what you saw in Egypt was a shadow. This is who I really am. I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And there's nothing that you have done, not one thing, there's nothing that is more powerful than my blood. It's not who stands in the house that matters. It's the blood that covers the house that matters. Cup of His blood for the forgiveness of your sins. 
when you drink it, that's the gospel. I am forgiven. I am set free. I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And because He loved me, I can love Him back with everything inside of me. And the coldness of my heart should be ignited with a flame of passion for Him. Because when I was miserable in my death, He died in my place so that I could live for Him. Daddy, thank you for this cup. Jesus, thank you for the blood that makes it powerful. Your gift of blood, your blood that nothing can come against. Not my guilt, not my shame, not my past, not my transgressions, not my iniquities, not the curse of the fall, not hell itself. Nothing has a claim on me but you. Nothing has a claim on our lives but the blood of Jesus. There is nothing that has a claim on our life but the blood of Jesus. Thank you for this blood. We drink it and remember and proclaim that we are forgiven and set free in Jesus' name. Amen. We got to stand with me. Father, thank you for this table. Thank you. For what it reminds us of. Not only of what you've done 2,000 years ago. Dying and and raising again from the dead. But it reminds us of a banqueting table. A wedding feast that you're preparing for us even now. And that one day you will part the clouds again. One day you will step out of heaven. And your feet will be planted back on this earth one more time. And then you will bring a new heaven and a new earth. And we will be with you there at the banqueting table of the Lamb forever and ever and ever. Glory to God. Glory to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Worthy is the Lamb of God who was slain. Worthy to receive glory and honor and power and praise. Worthy is the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just thank him for a moment. Just thank him. Just thank him in your own way. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for life. Ignite a fire down deep in our soul that we can't contain and we can't control. A forest fire burning beyond imagination. Thank you, Jesus. Church, just as we get ready to leave today, look, today was just, uh, I told Danielle, she's like, how do you feel about what you're going to say this morning? I said, it's just a, a brick. It's, it's the first brick. We got to build this thing. Because I grew up in a denominational background that had so much fear about this better be ready you're gonna be left behind you better be ready you better be ready you're gonna be ready someone's gonna be shaving and and then and someone else is gonna be in the bathroom talking and, and you're not gonna be right and they're gonna be gone you better be ready there's so much fear then I realized Jesus doesn't want me to stand out of fear he wants me to stand out of love and if I go if he chooses to do that awesome I'm in he said, prepare to stand your ground in the midst of the conflict and still love me.
Oh, God, may I stand. As you go today, can I encourage you? With the giving of your offerings today. You know, it's simply a way that we get to love God back, isn't it? One of the ways that we show love for God is that we give Him from the overflow of our hearts out of joy this offering. And there's a lot of ways you can do that up on the screen. You'll see that there's, uh, you give with these envelopes so you can put them in uh, the kiosk, the gold kiosk as you're going. Look, I, told, I said already to, uh, uh, this uh, last week that at the end of this month, we're going to have just a Q&A time on a Sunday morning. Maybe you have some questions about some stuff that we've been talking about or things that are going on or some uncertainty about kind of life at the moment as we look through the labor pains. You can write it back down on the back of your envelope. You can drop it in. You can uh, message us on uh, Instagram on that direct messenger as well. Kind of as you're filling this out, let me just ask you to do one last thing. We are, uh, we, we, if you don't know, many of you may not know, we, we have a ministry called Thy Kingdom Crumb, and it's a food truck that feeds people for free. And always, we, we do it a lot, but one of, our, one of the things we do all the time is Thanksgiving, and we've already begot, gotten so many requests in for, from families in our area who need Thanksgiving meals, and this year we just really are asking you to be a part of that with us, to, to bring in cans or boxes, and there's lists out there on paper, there's paper list lists on this uh, QR code you can go to while you're at the grocery store. You can give uh, today and next week uh, through missions uh, and giving as well, and that will all go to Thanksgiving, making sure that we can make a difference. One of the things Jesus said, how do I keep my fire alive? When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in jail, you came to visit me. Jesus, when did we do that? When you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. This is not something that TKC does. This is something that we do. We do. I'm going to pray over you and we're going to go. My prayer is simply this, that my God sets a fire down deep in our soul. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is filled with your glory. Let all the angels rejoice. All the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Father, I pray for every person in this room. Pray for everybody online, everybody who's going to be uh, listening to this later. I pray right now. First of all, Daddy, we come against those lies, those deceptions that have taken root, and we cast them out. We, 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 we release them from our lives right now. We say no. We say resi we resist the devil and he must flee. We say no to that lie, no to that scheme, no to that deception in Jesus' name. We sever old mindsets. We sever old memories that want to draw us back to that taste of something in our past. And we say no. We're asking for you to reform taste buds in our mouth that we may have new taste buds to desire. Taste the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That is what we are asking you to produce inside of us today. 
Father, I am praying for everything against everything that would try to sever the branch from the vine in Jesus' name. Circumstance or situation, trial or trouble, conflict, Lord, or cultural connection. In the name of Jesus, we sever that. Daddy, wherever the branches start to fall off, graft us back in. Graft us back in. Your blood, your way, your will. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Set a fire in our soul to know you with everything we've got. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, church. I love you. Go birds! E-A-G-L-E-S, that's what I'm saying. Come on. I'll see you next week.